they changed it from the Calix Mighty Players to the Carter Mighty Players, because everybody knows who that is. Let's have a big hand for them over on the main stage. Thank 
procrastinated, worried. <laughs> he had an alibi for just about every personality. <laughs> He's a phony sympathy seeker. <laughs> too much pride, too much intolerance and patience, and self-pity. And perfection is his game. Sound familiar? In other words, an SOB. <laughs> Who else could there be? <laughs> <laughs> what did you say? No, it's not someone else. 
been soaking up the fermented fruit of the vine. I just took a couple of sips. <laughs> I can stop any time I want. <laughs> I'm disappointed in you. How could you want the fermented fruit of the vine when you have all of this? Oh, you hit the juice too if you had a white like mine. <laughs>
and somebody comes to me and says, uh, I grew up listening to you on the radio. But I did grow up watching this lady on television, and I loved every single minute of it. We, of course, uh, all remember the great, fabulous television series of My Little Marcy. And uh, something I didn't realize about this TV series, it was on all three national networks, ABC, CBS, and NBC, and I'm sure that's some sort of a record. The years were 1952 through 55 for My Little Margie. Then came another series for her called Oh Susanna, which reigned high in the ratings from 1956 until 1960 on the ABC television network. It's something a lot of people may not remember, unless you're really into music in the 50s, is that this lady had millions and millions of sales of hit songs. I remember them all because I was just starting out as a disc jockey in my hometown of Enid, Oklahoma. And I think I played every single one of them. Gail, Dark Moon, I Hear You Knocking, Come Down from the Ivory Tower, Teenage Prayer, I almost forgot about that one. She's just a delightful lady. She was recently featured in National Enquirer. And um, I'll ask her to tell us how much of that was true. That's my unimpeachable source of gossip for my radio program. Ladies and gentlemen, would you give me a warm hand from Miss Gail Storm down at this end of the head table? Gail, just come on over here. Thank you, Jimmy. Gail, we're going to, as soon as we get done up here, we're all going to go up there, and they're arranging a little uh, table for us, and we're going to sit around and just rap about uh, we are? our experience. Just the two of us? Well, we're going to let Don in on it, too. Oh, all right. So <laughs> you just have a seat here and relax, and then I'm going to get Don up here. Ladies and gentlemen, this man did something that no other human being has ever done in the world. In his baseball career, he won the Rookie of the Year Award in 1949, the Most Valuable Player Award in 1956. And for Best Pitcher of the Year in 1956, he won the Cy Young Award. He's been one of the greatest vanguards of the fight against alcoholism of any person in recent times. And it's certainly been a pleasure for me to meet him. He's got so many credits here. Uh, I think Daryl told you what a great service he's performed in the city of Omaha here in the past couple of days. He's made nine personal appearances in the last few days, as Daryl told you. Close to 5,000 of our kids in high schools here. He had the original idea the concept of Alcohol Awareness Week, which started out in various cities throughout the country, and thanks to Don's original idea and Daryl Thornton's idea to bring it to Omaha, we now have it here, too. And I'm very proud to be able to share the stage up here in just a moment with the one and only great baseball star in himself, Mr. Don Newcomb, right over there, ladies and gentlemen. So let's all go up on stage.
I recently read the National Enquirer a story about a zero thousand dollar and uh, made some uh, mention at a party we had earlier before we were getting in the car. That some of it uh, was <laughs> marginal. I don't remember it. No, it was as I recall, it wasn't inaccurate. It was just a film and it just a lot of books But it didn't portray my situation. Are you still in treatment? How long have you been on treatment? A year.
Oh, Jimmy, I, of course, being strong-headed, bull-headed, being the great big baseball athlete, I never realized that I had a problem with drinking because I was a magical type. I always thought I could handle my alcohol. And it wasn't until my wife, oh, thank God for her. God, where are you? I want to thank you for, for my wife, Billy, the mother of my three children in Los Angeles, California. She recognized 13 years ago there was nothing wrong with the man that she loved when he drank. I didn't know it, but she did. And one day she was going to divorce me and take the kid with her. And that was the last vestige of hope for John Newcomb. I knew I probably would have gone to Skid Row or to jail or maybe even I would have been dead today. Were it not for her. And she created a crisis for me. She was going to divorce me and leave me. And that's the day I quit drinking. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I just didn't walk away from it and didn't have any uh, after effects from it. I did. I suffered for two years. The way I quit was I got on my knees. This big athlete that won all those awards. I got on my knees and swore to God with my hand on the head of my four-year-old son, Don Jr. You see, that means something to me. And I swore that I'd never drink another drink of alcohol. God didn't let Billy walk out of that door. And I meant it. It's been 13 years since I quit. And I don't know what it'll take for me to ever drink another drink of alcohol. That's how and what it did to me. And uh, in this audience, there might be some who have gone the same way who are and might even be going the same way. I'm saying to you, be careful because you could be on your knees also. You know, Billy Carter and Gail Storm and Don Newcomb were somebody's too, you know. And we uh, had a chance in life and we had, had great lives. But nothing compared to the life that we have now, you know. Am I, am I correct, Gail? We have a life now. Billy, I, I think I speak to you up here, uh, I hope so. Uh, it's pretty hard to speak to the President of the United States, brother, but I'm going to say it anyhow, Billy. <laughs> so, I, I quit 13 years ago, ladies and gentlemen, and that's what never happened to me in my life. I'm a man again. My wife tells me she loves me again. You know, you have to have your wife tell you that you're less than a man and you can't function as a husband any longer when you're doing the things you're doing. And uh, then, after you've got your head back together again, have that same lady put her arm around you and look in your eyes and tell you how much she loves you. And I don't know how much she loves me because every time she goes to the department store with credit cards, she just spends money like this. <laughs> But, uh, I'm, I'm so happy, so glad, and so proud to be associated with people who, who have been there and uh, got to head back together again. There's quite a few in this room tonight, and uh, we have a great club going, and uh, we have our doors open to all of you who are contemplating entering through those doors. Come on in, we'll welcome you with open arms. We need you. We want you. Thank you, John. I do like you. A lot of people may not realize that uh, alcoholic programs around the country and for that matter, a lot of them uh, welcome people who have problems with any fine or any drug, if it's the so-called alcoholic downers, tranquilizers, or uh, any fine or any drug.
Not a man, Jimmy. I I uh, I am anxious out of here, and, uh, and uh, Well, while we're all sitting up here, why don't I drag up my notes and tell you what you already know about the first brother of the United States of America, ladies and gentlemen? Is that a third first brother? <laughs> I asked him. Yeah, I asked Billy what he was doing, and he said, "Oh, nothing." <laughs> so that's uh, a lot of help, Billy. Thanks a lot of help. Uh, Billy uh, has been here, I think, yesterday, I believe. And one of the things we did today was go to the uh, Omaha Hippie Association in Macy, Nebraska, uh, where I understand that he attempted to pick up and kiss a small child and slap him in the face. <laughs> <laughs> and they were so embarrassed that they came bearing the gifts. What do you get? You got a, a turquoise choker, a beaded cigarette case, a cigarette lighter, books on the Omaha Indian tribe, and your very own Indian blanket and Indian name, which I understand, Billy, in case you forgot, is Whitehead Standing. And after all this, ladies and gentlemen, would you believe he still wants to be paid for his appearance? <laughs> Billy Carter has been called by his mother, Miss Lillian, the smartest one in the family. Like Dickie's mother. Mom always likes the best movies before. <laughs> I heard him on television news last night refer to himself, I'll abbreviate this for the tender ears in the sky, as the biggest BSer in the United States of America. Well, he didn't say BSer, I mean, actually ran on television. <laughs> well, I can top that introduction, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Billy Carter. <laughs> Well, I want to start off by saying uh, I'm glad to be in Omaha tonight, and the baby slapped me, I think, because babies usually do. Uh, but I really enjoyed it today, and I did talk to Omaha Indians today, and some of them are here tonight, and we are seriously considering taking Omaha back over. I understand y'all stole it from the Indians, and we can damn sure steal it back. I'm pretty good friends with them out there now. Uh, I had, uh, I want to say I had great reservations of coming here tonight. Uh, when uh, Daryl Sarson first called... Uh, he talked to Randy Coleman, and uh, by the way, I looked for Randy when I got up here tonight because Randy has traveled me a lot all over the country and all over the world. I wonder where in the hell my four ounces of vodka was before I started talking. <laughs> and I think he's in the audience somewhere. And uh, But uh, Mr. Sarson called, and I said no, and he called again, and I said no, and he called again, and he, I said no, and he called again, and I said no. And Randy said, what in the hell are we going to do about that nerf in Omaha that keeps calling? <clears throat> and I said, uh, well, Randy, what are we going to do about it? And I have, hadn't made an appearance like this, and uh, I had reservations. I knew, number one, I knew it would be brought up that I was coming here because my brother was in a strong campaign down in this area. I assure you, I was a drunk a long time before Jimmy was president. <laughs> I'm not a crusading evangelist type. Any alcohol man. I have a sister that's an evangelist, and she can't. She couldn't cure me. She tried. It didn't work. And my knowledge of alcohol is mostly personal alone. Uh, I was the most public drinker in the United States for a while and enjoyed every minute of it. And then I became probably the most public drunk in the United States, and I quit enjoying it. Uh, I've had a problem with alcohol, as I knew, and it was kept very quiet by everybody but me. I kind of made it public as hell. Uh... <laughs> I first attended AA about 20 years ago, and at that time, I was living in Macon, Georgia, and uh, 
At that time, I walked in, and guy, uh, the guy met me in the door. The old type that Jimmy was talking about earlier. He said, how'd you get here? I said, I drove a car. He said, do you still have your wife and children? I said, yes. He said, have you hocked your wedding ring? I said, no. He said, you ain't needed here. So I went next door and had two drinks and went back home. And uh, my next experience was about 10 years later. I went back to AA. I didn't like it. I did stay sober for about six months. I got back, and as I, as uh, I'll use the word that Jimmy said earlier, I'm probably one of the greatest bullshitters in the world. <clears throat> After about seven months, I convinced myself that they were crazy as hell, that Billy Carter could drink, that he wasn't an alcoholic. And I convinced myself I could, and for about ten years, I did. I was very lucky. I'm one of the few living people that ever had a beer named after him. <clears throat> one of the main disadvantages, one of them, of quitting drinking, that I uh, didn't, no longer had a contract with the beer company, I could have switched to a good beer and drank it from then on. <laughs> Bitter beer is still for sale. They are selling it as souvenirs, and you buy it for a souvenir, you don't have to drink it. But anybody still drinking it, I would not advise them to drink bitter beer. <laughs> I ain't saying that's what did it to me, but it sure switched me over to vodka, because I could drink vodka out of a beer can and still get by with it. <clears throat> I traveled all over the country starting in 75 and 76. Uh, <clears throat> in the campaign, I became in uh, 77, uh, 76 and 77, uh, during the time that uh, after Jimmy was elected and all the national press was in Plains, Georgia, with nothing to do but listen to me and believe half of what I said with 90% of it was untrue to start with. And uh, a lot of it still is. But I talked to them and I did, then I went on the, uh, we gave up our family business, which I'd been in for 20 years, and uh, the family farm. We gave it up because of the government laws on conflict of interest. And we, so I went on the celebrity circuit and the cocktail party circuit, which, uh, believe it or not, a cocktail party is the worst thing in the world for an alcoholic. Uh, people look at you funny as hell when you get four doubles at one time because the bartender can't keep up with you no way else. <laughs> <clears throat> and uh, so normally, to be mild and normal, I did drink at cocktail party. I drank soda. Uh, we always carried a briefcase, Mark Fuller, who's now my son-in-law, and Randy Coleman, who's here tonight. Uh, I hate to say it, but everybody in town, when we get back to Plains, everybody thought they were the drunks, and I wasn't. And the poor bastards had to drink to kind of get over the trip with me, trying to keep me sober enough to do anything. <laughs> and uh, But I did that, and uh, in January of this year, I didn't realize I had a problem. Everybody around me did. Uh, my wife had got to be the biggest bitch in the world. <laughs> and my children uh, didn't speak to the daddy too much, because I never was at home. I, I never did drink much at home. I was an automobile drinker and a bag room drinker. and a, I drank beer in public and vodka on the side. And in January of this year, uh, I had had a babysitter, and I won't, won't call it anything else, for almost, for almost three years. I had traveled with somebody full time. My wife went to the hospital in Atlanta for treatment for eight days. I went to Atlanta with her to stay at the hotel. Man, I was in hog head, and the boss stayed open at 4 o'clock in the morning, and I knew her well, and they fixed a, a picture of screwdrivers before they closed up the bar every night so I could make it from make it down to the elevator. I could have two drinks in the room when I got up. And I stayed there for eight days, and I came out, and I went in the hospital. Uh, I went in for the drunkest blonde cow that anybody in the world ever went in for blonde cow. <laughs> my doctor talked to me. My wife talked to me. My friends talked to me. And I think primarily they did. I, I moved 22 miles from home, and uh, I still had some friends left. I'd run some of them off.
and they were scared to let me drive anymore. So it got right bad every night. Two of, it would take two of them to take me home because my wife had raised so much hell if somebody drove me home. But two of them wanted to drive back to Plains, which is 22 miles away. So when I went to the hospital. My doctor, uh, Dr. Paul Brown, who's a close personal friend, uh, he's a pretty good doctor. He'd rather hunt, he'd rather hunt feathers than a uh, doctor. He ain't got many patients left either. <laughs> but, uh, He's kind of a, uh, well, Paul's a good doctor. He did uh, stop me on, but Paul's kind of, he went moose hunting in Alaska about two months ago and had the uh, head mounted. It was six foot eight inches, and the widest wall he's got in his house is a little over five feet. He's got two doors he can't open now, but he doesn't mind. He can see the moose. <clears throat> so uh, Paul sat me down. He said, Billy, I think you ought to go off for treatment. I said, for what? <laughs> He said, I think you might be drinking too much. Uh, I said, man, you might think that, but I don't. Uh, I noticed a lot of the people around me can't drink as much as I can. They're kind of in bad shape. They're passing out before I did. <clears throat> I wasn't drinking any more than the friends I was drinking with, but God knows we were sporting three bars around home right well. <laughs> Only two of us, too. <laughs> I knew I was drinking a little too much at Christmas before that because uh, <clears throat> the liquor store I did about a fourth of my business with gave me a a gallon of Chevy's scotch for Christmas. And I only drank scotch when I wasn't drinking. I mean, I drank vodka regular, but he thought it's what I drank regular. I realized I was stopping by that when I was really on the wagon for a while. Uh, but I went to the hospital, and I was like a typical... Uh, well, drunks are supposed to be the smartest people in the world. I thought I was. So I went to the hospital, and uh, when they went in, they said, make a list of the people you want to see. They were going to put me in seclusion, and uh, I wouldn't go in the, I knew, I was on the hospital board for years before I moved out of the county, I knew where the padded room was, and I didn't go in there, I needed it before it was over with, but I didn't go in it, and so I put down about ten names, and uh, two of them were strange names, and I happened to put down the same phone number for them, and uh, my wife and Paul uh, checked them out, and they were both for people that worked at the one liquor store that was a little bit out of town that would deliver. <laughs> But after much persuasion and friends coming from all over, and absolutely no, uh, one thing said, absolutely no pressure from the White House, which has been said, I did get pressure. He was worried. He called every day. I found out later. But uh, I agreed to go somewhere. I gave a list of three places, three treatment centers I, I would go. All three of them taught social drinking. <laughs> I had a close friend that was in one, and I like to go out and visit him. Uh, <laughs> at five o'clock every afternoon, they'd bring the crowd down. They'd pour them two cocktails. Me and my friend would—I'd go up to see him in the afternoon about two, and we drank a fifth before we went and got the cocktails. And but he learned—he he got where he liked it so well. He finally quit his job and moved to, and didn't go to work for the hospital. But his family put him back in there, and he—he'd volunteer, and they thought he was doing great. But I wanted to go there, and there were three on my name, and uh. Paul came in one day and he said, you're going to the hospital. And we finally, we got it worked out. Uh, me and Admiral Lukacs, I said, where am I going? He said, you're going to Long Beach Naval Hospital. I said, man, I ain't going there. It'll be too much flat because I ain't in the Navy to start with. Senator <laughs> 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 Herman Talmadge called me. Uh, Senator Talmadge is a, a close family friend. And uh, he had just got out of uh, Long Beach Naval Hospital. And he, t and he persuaded me. So the day I started to leave... I had no 
idea in my mind to quit drinking. I was going to get somebody off my back and maybe get a little vacation and enjoy enjoy it for a while. My wife came to the hospital with my bags packed. I told her I'd come home. I wanted to get my passport. I had it all planned. I was going on a trip to London, and I knew they, I had gotten my mind, uh, after nine days in the Merson Sumter County Hospital, and the, uh, I will say now before I forget it, the first thing I did when I came back out of Long Beach, I went over and apologized to the nurses on the third floor. <laughs> I had, uh, I think three of them quit while I was there. <laughs> I got where well, they were, uh, I got when they were, they were feeding me, and uh, I threw food, and they had a stomach pump, and I threw stomach pumps, and I broke out a couple of windows, and somebody asked me, did I go through DTs? I told them I didn't go through bad, that most people saw pink elephants, red elephants, yellow elephants, all mine turned out to be blue. Uh, I did go through, uh, I did go through DTs. I was, uh, did have a, uh, I realized I had a drinking problem. I figured once I sobered up, I could taper back up again. <laughs> But I started to leave that day, and my wife came up and said, I have your clothes back. She said, I'm, go I'm going to California with you. I said, no, you're not. You can't leave the kids. Randy Coleman is here with me tonight. He's worked with me for 11 years. Uh, Randy said, well, I'm going with you. Randy was supposed to have made the trip to London with me. I wonder why in the hell he was there. <clears throat> Mark Fuller, who traveled with me all the time, said, well, I'm going with you. I said, uh, nope, I'm going by myself. Paul Brown, who does have a big practice in America, said, well, Billy, I'm giving my practice for a week and take you to Long Beach. I said, man, I've flown to California several times by myself. I can make it. You know, I had one idea. I was going to Venezuela. I've got a real good drinking party living in Venezuela. <laughs> I, had a, I had a ticket, a round-trip ticket to London, about $1,800. I figured I could stay in Venezuela with them for six weeks and really make out. So as I saw everything was gone, no way to get my passport, no way to leave, I agreed to let my wife go to Long Beach with me. <clears throat> I thought in my mind, I got to Atlanta, and... uh. They met me in Atlanta, and they had everything set up. We were going through Houston, Texas to miss the press. I talked to Hank Aaron, who's a good friend of mine. I talked to Hank for about an hour at the airport. He had stayed around until my wife talked to him just to keep me calm while I was out. The main thing I wanted to do was slip out. Every time I'd go to the bathroom, <clears throat> one of the eastern attendants would go with me. <laughs> so we left Atlanta, went to Houston, Texas. Man... <clears throat> no, I didn't have a drinking problem. Everybody else did. I was fine, but I went to Houston, and the worst thing, when I got on the airport, uh, on the plane, I fly eastern all the time, and when I got on the plane in Atlanta, the first thing the girl did <clears throat> was bring me a uh, full miniature of the vodka and one glass of orange juice. And I swear, tears run out of my eyes when my wife looked at the heart, and I told her to bring me a tap. <laughs> but I got to Long Beach, and... I figured, I said, it's a naval hospital, my brother's commander-in-chief. Man, I got it knocked here. <laughs> we got there. I was met at the Los Angeles airport by a doctor. He says, I'm Dr. Griffin. I'll be your doctor when I'm here. I'm an alcoholic. I said, oh, shit. <laughs> <clears throat> So they had a Navy first class driving the, the car that picked us up. My wife was still with me. I said, well, maybe I can talk to him. Maybe he'll help me get out of this mess before I get in it. I've got, it's, it's already gone a lot farther than I ever planned it to. 
I said, what, uh, I said, what are your duties at the hospital? He said, I don't have any duties. I'm a patient. I said, oh, Lord, ain't <laughs> He said he'd been sober three weeks and been driving L.A. traffic. I, five weeks before I actually got sober, but uh, we made it. So I went to Long Beach. I did get a rude awakening there. Uh, I went from Billy Carter, the number one man in planes, Number two, number three. I, I consider myself number one. Everybody else consider myself. I must have been pretty good. I ran for election in planes six times and got beat five times. <laughs> I was kind of like the mayor here. Said he, uh, the time I won, I had a write-in opponent. <laughs> but I wasn't quite as popular. I won, I won by nine votes. You know? <laughs> And frankly, I didn't think it was 38 people in planes that could write. <laughs> but uh, I went to Long Beach, and I got there. When we got there, the press was there, and they put me in uh, the detox ward. Frankly, when I got there, I was in such bad shape that they thought I was still drunk. I had been in the hospital in America for nine days. It was the tenth day without a drink. And everybody there thought I was being admitted to the detox. And I think I probably need, I say that one night because they got a room for me. Dr. Purse came in, uh, Dr. Joe Purse, who I have a heap of arguments with and had while I was there and hated his guts as long as I was in Long Beach. And uh, as I said, I have done some television appearances. I will say this, I did the first one with Dr. Purse, uh, the Donahue show. I did the uh, tomorrow show with my wife and the Good Morning America show with my wife. I did do the day show by myself. Uh, scared to death on that, too. But I got there, and uh, I went in the program at Long Beach, and it's an AA-oriented uh, program with uh, group therapy and what have you. The same, uh, I'm sure. Some of you going through it. <clears throat> I figured I'd get a good job, and I had a... When I got there, it was one thing. When I left America, I figured I was the only one in the world with that problem. I got there, and the first the first people I met were the doctors there, and then the, the patients, which were about 40% doctors at the time, Navy doctors and Army doctors who were, attended, who were there as, as patients. And I was given the job of a, a great job. I, I was in a, put in a four-man room, and I was given a, a job of cleaning up the head. <laughs> Man, I ain't even picked up my own dirty clothes in 20 years. I, I thought, I really, I thought that's what a wife was for. She didn't. But uh, the important thing about Long Beach, I think, and the, the best thing, when my wife got there, she went with a, a planning to stay one day. She ended up staying four weeks. My wife never had but one drinking problem in her life, me. But uh, alcohol is a family disease, and I will go back a little bit. And uh, when I first decided to go for treatment, I was, I'm kind of brave, drunk, I'm shaking as hell, sober. But uh, I wouldn't tell my wife. I got the doctor to go tell her, and whether she was coming or not, I didn't know. And she came over, and I talked to her about going for treatment. I didn't think I needed treatment. I felt sure she would agree with me. And uh, she didn't agree with me at all. And so I said, uh, well, I want to tell the kids. I have, uh, six kids, uh, one of them's 23, one of them's 21, one of them's 19, one of them's 17, one of them's 12, and one of them's 
I think the worst day I had in the hospital in America, I told my wife to go back and tell the kids that I was going off for treatment for alcoholism. I didn't know whether I'd ever see them again. They were all two, one of them was married, one of them was gone. And that afternoon, all four of them came over. And I think what hurt me worse than anything else, me who was high in everything, that every one of my kids that were old enough came over and told me, Daddy, they were glad I was going. I knew I needed to go a long time. And I didn't realize till then how much I had hurt them. I, it, it really hurt me. And I, alcoholism is a family disease, and I'm sure both drinkers and non-drinkers here have somebody in their family that is an alcoholic. I had an uncle who was a problem drinker. That's where it goes down. He, he was a problem drinker. He was not an alcoholic. He died in Albany jail uh, doing uh, withdrawal of an alcohol. But we never considered him an alcoholic. Down in my, in my part of the country, not all people, but most of them are people that can afford it are not alcoholics. I am an alcoholic. But uh, to get on with the story of Long Beach, I went to Long Beach. I stayed there three weeks before I made up my mind to quit drinking. I found out through the uh, rumor, boat, rumor mill there, which is like every Navy installation, the lowest man on the totem pole knows about it before the CO does, <clears throat> that uh, they'd had a review board meeting on uh, the patients. And I was the only one, I was the one, I was brought up. And out of the review board meeting at that time, out of the ten people on the review board there, and there were psychologists and uh, counselors and a couple of psychiatrists, nine of them had voted to kick me out of the hospital as a hopeless case. And at that time, I decided I would quit. I, I didn't cooperate with the program. I hadn't so far. Uh, <clears throat> I hadn't cooperated. And at that time, I decided that I would quit drinking. And before I said I was going to quit for my wife, I was going to quit for my children, th this time I decided I would quit for Billy Carter. Because Billy Carter wanted to quit drinking. No matter what. My wife was at the program, we, and she was going through the same program I was. My son came out for the program, my oldest son, because he was reading in the press how, how mistreated I was in California. He had to make sure his daddy was all right. <clears throat> so I went through the program. The Long Beach program is a two-week program uh, for some people, a four-week program for some people, a six-week program for a very few people. And nobody ever had been known to stay in the same program for eight weeks before the release. I stayed there eight weeks and two days. I got out I had a press conference when I left that we had agreed with the press in Los Angeles which they are fairly rough and they did bird dogging for a few days the same hot board that Betty Ford went and Herman Tamage went and we had a lot of uh, flack from the press and from the naval base because I was there I was there and I would never have gone to Long Beach I had one no right to be there except I was the brother of the commander in chief and he set it up for me to go to Long Beach and he set up through Admiral Lukash, who was his doctor, who was stationed with Captain Purse, and I never uh, and knew the program. But we had a press conference, and uh, Dr. Purse, uh, some of you here I'm sure have heard him or met him around the country. Dr. Purse said, Billy, what are you going to tell him? I said, I don't know, Dr. Purse. And he said, uh, you don't know? And he said, I said, no, I don't. <clears throat> and then when they asked me, the first question was, what were you doing in Long Beach? I had milked all I could out of the bronchitis. <laughs> so the hardest decision I ever made, besides telling, convincing myself I was an alcoholic, was to go to come out of the closet with it and tell the people that I was an alcoholic. And I felt like a load was taken off my back when I did say it. I don't think I'm qualified to speak here. I've only been sober eight months now. 
Well, I haven't had a drink in eight months. I had a uh, after effects after I quit drinking. I, I had got in the stage at that time. It was almost five weeks before I was perfectly free of alcohol. Before my senses came back and before my I got worried out. I thought I was going blind one time after three weeks, and I realized I was still going through withdrawal. <clears throat> this is my first fiction. This after I got back, another hard thing when I got back to America, how to face my friends. It was a hard thing to do. It was a hard thing for me to do because I'd always been the beer drinking Billy. The I didn't think I'd have any left. When I got back, the friends I hadn't seen while I was in the hospital, and some I had. They, I think, without it, without one exception, they all came up and said they were glad I'd done it. And I found out one thing: even though some of them drink now, I put a hell of a damper on a party now. <laughs> <clears throat> but uh, seriously, I think the worst thing about quit drinking is I drink a lot of coffee and soft drink and you have to go to the bathroom just as often but you have to be a little more careful where you go. <laughs> but I want to say again I'm glad to be in Omaha tonight and uh, I'm glad to have the opportunity to speak here and I'm not much of a speaker. <clears throat> And I do, uh, one thing, <clears throat> it's the first thing that I've ever spoke on that I really knew. I know about Billy Carter's drinking problem. And they were bad, regardless of some people, regardless of some, what some people have said and what have. I had a terrible problem. And Lord knows, I apologize. If I apologize to everybody I might have heard, I wouldn't have a damn, I wouldn't have time to eat. <laughs> and, and I'm, so I'm going around. I did apologize to my family and my close friends. And, uh, I want to say I'm glad to be here and, uh, I'd rather answer questions. If anybody has any questions, I think they have a microphone set up back there. If anybody has any questions about my problem or anything else, I'd be glad to answer them for you. This is my first speech. I am not doing... I am not ashamed to say I have my own program. I am not... Uh, at the present time, I am not attending AA. I have not since I left Long Beach. It is an AA-oriented program. I, for two reasons. I travel a lot. And I, I don't really have an excuse. I'm just not attending. Right now I'm staying, right now I'm staying sober. And, I, and as long as my program works, I haven't really had the desire to have a drink. Uh, at home, it's a little bit different. Alcohol Anonymous is anonymous, which I don't agree with. I don't think it's going to, uh, at home, I was at home is, is extremely anonymous. You can't even find out where the meetings are. <laughs> 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 I have attended, I say I haven't, I don't have any regular AA program. I have attended meetings in New York and uh, California since I got out, but I have not attended any local meetings. And uh, I get a lot of static from some of the AA members at home. They send me notes of why I ain't I coming, but they don't sign the name. Oh, yeah. I'd like to say I went up to Macy today, and uh, it's the first hunting trip I've been on in a long time. They'd give me any shells. <laughs> but I really had a good time up at Macy. Uh, uh, at the reservation, there, and they were great people, and I ate buffalo for the first time. It was great. 
And feather hunting for the first time, I didn't... I didn't miss any, but I didn't shoot any. Some of them, well, Daryl over here was supposed to be a great feather uh, hunter. I heard him shooting a lot, but then he denied he shot him. He's the only one in the crowd up there. <laughs> but I really enjoyed it. One of the, uh, I've enjoyed Omaha, and I've enjoyed Nebraska. And it was one of the best days of my life. It's the first time I've really been on the road and really been out with a group of people when I wasn't drinking. If somebody told me a year ago, uh, ten months ago, that Billy Carter could, would, could live without alcohol, I'd say you're the craziest son of a bitch in the world, man. <laughs> but I think Billy Carter can, and Billy Carter is. And I want to thank you all very much. If you, no more questions, I'll let everybody go home. Thank you all. Thank you very much, Billy Carter. Ladies and gentlemen, Mayor Bays has asked me if I would uh, give him some time to present a special award to our very special guest tonight, and indeed we're honored to do it. Here's our own Omaha Mayor Al Bays. Thank you very much. You know, I, I enjoyed this whole program very much, and I, I kind of reversed back to when... Uh, Don first talked to me about it. I've never had a problem because when my father, when I was young, he used to make home brew. And I had the darn distasteful job of sucking that darn hose and filling the bottles and capping it. <laughs> I got so darn much yeast in me, I can't even go near this stuff anymore. <laughs> but, you know, when you travel around, as Gene and I do, and you go to cocktail parties, it's quite true. You know, you meet a quite, a, quite a few people who probably don't realize that they have a problem. But they definitely do, because whenever they come up and some of the words of wisdom they give me are running a city, I tell you what, they really screw it up good. <laughs> Don has always been my ideal. He is even much more so today. Certainly, I think it's just very fine of the work that he's done. And I heard from some of the people that uh, uh, were with him when he went to the schools and some of their reactions. It's tremendous. Gail Storm, of course, was always my ideal when she was my little Margie. I always thought that was a beautiful program. Billy, we've got a lot of bull shippers in South Omaha, but I think you're, you probably were the best at your days. <laughs> the one hope that I have, and I've got a, a key to the city for each one of them. If this is your first talk tonight, Bill, may I hope and pray that it's not your last and that you will be a guiding light to people throughout the country who absolutely need help in this dread uh, affliction. We in the city government suddenly realize that we have problems there, and I'm delighted to participate in the program. And I want to be sure and each one of you have one of these keys. This is for you, Bill. Billy Carter. <laughs> I want to thank Mel Vays very much. I'm sure a year ago I would ask him would he get me out of jail. <laughs> but I don't think I'll need to get out of jail now. Thank you very much, Mel. Very, very much. My little Margie, here is your key. I never thought it would ever, ever happen. How about that? 
I'll be done. Thank you. Somebody told me there was nice things about this job. That's it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Don, last but not least, to a great guy. I gave you one of the loose ones before, but this is to hang in your office and to thank you officially on behalf of every person in the city of Omaha and every person in the United States for the wonderful job you're doing. Thank you very much, Mayor. Thank you. Thank you, Mayor Bates. I, for one, I, I'm sure everybody shares the feeling what an honor was to have Billy Carter make his first public engagement speech off of television. Aside from the TV programs he's done, this was the first time he had spoken to a public gathering of this size since he stopped drinking eight months ago. I think that's a very special honor for us. I'd like us to give him one more big hand. I think he did a hell of a job. Gonna make the closing remarks or mine? Okay. <laughs> With the closing remarks, ladies and gentlemen, the honorary chairman of the whole Alcohol Awareness Week here in Omaha, Mr. Charles M. Mike Harper, with our closing remarks. Uh, thanks, Jimmy. I've been selected for this honor because this is the one thing that I'm very good at. It seems like every, every time I make remarks, every, everyone leaves. <laughs> And they and they will be simple. Um, I think the most appropriate way to end the formal part of the program is to uh, uh, just say thank you. I'd like to say for each one of us a special thanks to Daryl Sorensen, to Mayor uh, Al and Jean Vase, if you're still married, <laughs> <laughs> to John Kennefeck and Phil Jordan, Father Foster, Jimmy O'Neill, and our very honored guests Don Newcomb, Gail Strong. Billy Carter, and a very special thanks to each one of you. And I think maybe it would be uh, a fine way to end is if each one of you would look at each other and thank each other. Give yourselves a round of applause. I would like to announce that my good friend, Mr. Dick Martin, who is the um, sales manager of radio station WOW, although we are rivals, we are friends, has been recording the highlights of this evening's program, the keynote address by Billy Carter, the uh, panel discussion with Don and Gail and myself. And uh, would you believe the cassettes will be available any moment immediately following the event? And I believe they're selling them for only $3, which just covers the cost of the cassette. So if any of you would like to preserve the memory of this evening forever, you can have it on tape cassette. Uh, they're recording it right over there and just stop by the table, and I'll be glad to let you have one for $3. Shirley Miller, are you backstage, my dear? Shirley's going to lead us all on a little final sing-along here, ladies and gentlemen. Have you got your orchestra already, Shirley? Yes. Why don't we do this more often? Just what we're doing tonight. See, but it's great to get together again. Why does it only happen now and then? And you can never ever overdo a good thing. 
smiling the whole 